Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke, today joined by Hirsch Wilson, the author of a book called Firefighter Zen, a field guide to thriving in tough times. So, Hirsch Wilson, thank you for taking some time for us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. Well, you know, when I first saw the title uh, that came at me, and I thought to myself, hmm, scratch my head, I said, hmm, is this going to be another Zen in the motorc- art of motorcycle maintenance? You know, are, are you're probably familiar with Robert Persing's book. Yes. Uh, Yes, the 19, exactly, the yeah. 1974 book. And then, of course, more recently, there was the uh, the book called um, uh, Fire Monk, Zen Mind Meets Wildfire, the true story of mm. how five monks saved the oldest Zen monastery in the United States. Did you know that book as well? I, I did not know that book. Okay. Well, I didn't get a chance to interview Robert Persink, but I did, answer, I did get a chance to uh, interview the author of the story of Tassajara, probably, you know, you know, the word Tassajara, Zen Mountain Center, that area or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 OK. So anyway, so but then I got into your book and I found out, well, no, this this is a completely different book. This is <laughs> this is uh, something else. And so now now you and I both know that Zen is a is Japanese school of Mahayana Buddhism that emphasizes the value of of meditation and intuition. We, I think we both could agree with that. Do, would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now, how does that have, a, how do you tie that together and how do you make that as part of your title? Show, show us your Zen. I think that's a great question. And, and, the, and the way I think about it is that being a firefighter and dealing in the, in that world, and 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 Zen are two different paths to the same conclusion, um, and that conclusion is that uh, a couple of things: that uh, first, life incorporates suffering; uh, second, that um, our time here is limited, uh, and the only thing we really have is this moment, and to really and to and to really to really. Um, enjoy life and get as much as you can out of life, you have to understand those three principles. Mm-hmm. So that's where we intersect. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because as I said, I looked through the book and I, I looked, I looked for the Zen and I, I took what you just said as being the, I find, or that is I finally came to what you just said as pretty much what it was about, but I, I didn't find any, you know, I didn't, I found no mention of sutras I found, you know, nothing like that. But what you just said, of course, does line up perfectly for for those of for those of us who are familiar with the story. So you started volunteering with your wife in 1986. 
let's let's well let let's go there in a minute, but um, let's start kind of way back. Now you grew up in Minnesota, I understand. I did. And what what part of Minnesota did you grow up in? I grew up in a little town uh, south of uh, Minneapolis called Eden Prairie, oh. which was a, a, a rural uh, farming town. So you started in a in a in a you know in, like I say in a in a in a rural area. So that that explains to me some of the nature of your writing. With it, it feels like it has a kind of sort of a rural root to it. You might say, uh, absolutely. You know, and you you're you're completely yeah. you're you're. I mean, when I'm when I'm in your really reading your writing, I'm I'm riding along in the truck with you, and and I can feel the bumps, you know. So it's yeah. it's uh, it's pretty pretty obvious. Well, I grew up in Wyz- I grew up in Wyzetta, so I well, I, you're I kidding. no, but awesome. so, so I yeah. I know where Eden Prairie is, and and uh, so uh, anyway, but and I've also been a firefighter, so and we'll get to that maybe a little bit later. Okay, yeah. uh, but um, so again, coming back to where you and your wife started in 1986. Let's, let's, now you, the way you tell the story, and maybe I should let you tell the story, but you tell the story that kind of your wife kind of got you into it a little bit. So that may not be the way to start it, but let's talk about getting into it and kind of what pulled you in. Sure. So um, in 1984, my wife and I, we both had grown up in theater. We were both dancers. Uh, and had been for the last 15 years. We quit dancing and we moved to Santa Fe to help start a family business. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of went on with what I was doing or learning to do, which was uh, doing consulting and doing uh, corporate writing. And Lori, uh, my wife, was working at a conference center. Well, one day, one day at the conference center, uh, uh, which was uh, out about 40 miles from Santa Fe, uh, a woman tripped and broke her ankle. And there was nobody there who could medically help. A long way from town, no one knew what to do. So Lori was determined that that would never happen again. Mm-hmm. So she took uh, an emergency medical technician class. Um, and at the end of the class, the instructor said, you know, in order to keep your, your skills up, why don't you join the fire department? Uh, and she thought that was a great idea. She <laughs> came back and told me, we're joining the fire department. And I had never heard of a volunteer fire department. I had no idea what she was talking about. I never saw myself as a guy with a hose or an axe or anything like that. I was I was an ex dancer and a writer. But she convinced me to go. Uh, and we went to our first meeting, and she loved it. Uh, I was terrified because uh, I think the first thing they did, we sat down at a table, and we're in rural New Mexico, and. There are all kinds of people there. There were writers and lawyers and, and contractors, but they all kind of came together to be this fire department. And in this first meeting there, they're passing around a picture of uh, a car accident with a, with a, a man who had unfortunately passed away. Lori thought it was intriguing. I almost passed out, um, but she kept me coming. And after about our fourth week, I got hooked and really wanted to become a firefighter. And that's how we both began our careers wow wow now uh, so there, there's a uh, on on uh, part five the beginning of part five um this the quote that you give from leo roston the purpose of life is not to be happy it is to be useful to be honorable to be compassionate 
to have it make some difference that you have loved, lived, excuse me, lived and lived well. So it sounds to me like your wife was inviting you into living well. Absolutely. We had no idea at the time. Right, right. Um, I think when you join a fire department, uh, it most often is for the excitement, uh, for the adrenaline. Right. Um, and then after that works out, the, the larger cause appears. Right. And that is to be in service to others. Uh, and it is in being service to others that you get um, the life life lived well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you make that point solidly through your your book that that this is this is now an essential part of your enjoyment of life the central part of your feeling part of life and so uh you you really very very convincingly uh to me anyway um uh, mm-hmm. make that clear that this is this is and this is no longer just the like you say the adrenaline rush which of course for those of us I live in a rural town in California here, and of course we have a fire. We have a volunteer fire department, and and for the, those of us who've been around a, a while, I'm not a member of the fire department. I should say that, but I've been around them, and I've been enough part of their world so that I can. You can see the <laughs> the difference between the young ones, the the adrenaline rush junkies who, like they're just yeah. they're just wound up like like a top, you know, and then the older guys yep. who. They do as you you advise us to do, and you and you give us quite a lot of information about how to how to start thinking like a firefighter, how to, how to step into the hoop the hula hoop and 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 do that. So maybe that would help our listeners begin to get the feeling because what you so successfully do for me anyway is you put life in our hands. You make us feel what it feels like to be a firefighter, to to be there. As the woman is bleeding out, to be there as the whatever is happening, and you you share it with us sufficiently so that we really can feel the graininess of it. But but anyway, coming back to what I was saying earlier, um, talk about that development. Um, sure. So I think um, after after a while on, on the fire department, you learn a couple of things. Uh, the adrenaline wears off. And and something else emerges, and that is uh, you know kind of a, a core principle. You know, Buddha said lack of suffering. And so what what you begin to see as a firefighter going on call after call after call after call, is people are suffering, right? right. Um, uh, people are in pain, and it's 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 a spectrum from from not very much to to a whole lot. Um, but everybody has a story. Uh, Everybody is going through something, uh, and I think if you're if you're open to that, if you're empathic at all, you say, "Oh my God, uh, we need help." Right. And I think that motivation is really what takes over for most uh, most firefighters the, the desire to you know to see that the that the, the suffering and want to be able to help. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies. Uh, Robin Williams, Robin Williams said um, before he passed away. Um, always understand that everybody has a story. And I think that um, in our non-firefighter lives, the, the understanding that everybody has a story, everybody is suffering to a little, a little bit, um, opens us up to being much more compassionate, much kinder. And I think that's, that's kind of the message of the book. It's not just about being a firefighter, but it's really understanding how we can take that lesson 
and apply it to our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, as as you as you say, it's it's be brave, be kind, fight fires. That's that's your I guess your the motto of your group there, or is that the typical firefighter motto? Or I think it's a typical firefighter motto, but yeah, it's one I definitely stole. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and of course, a lot of us don't have a chance in our everyday lives to be brave quite in the way you do in terms of when you're in the mm. call in the call phrase mm. phase, you might say. But at the same time, I think you make it clear to us that that just what you just said that we're all we all have issues we all have and and and, and you you also tease it out you say <laughs> which is fun to read too you talk about how 90 percent of the calls you have are are more for your uh and i should identify your your fire department it's called hondo right say, mm-hmm. say the name Correct. of your fire department please if you would it's hondo uh volunteer fire department right and that's the hondo is the name of the town Hondo is the name. Uh, it's a, um, it's a, just a residential area south of Santa Fe. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, so uh, anyway, so you go on and you talk about how ninety percent of the calls that you get are are they're they're inconveniences or they're difficulties, but not they're not real emergencies. And and so what you just right. said and what you just said is that by knowing everybody has a story. Then when and you tell a lot of stories at different different times through the book about you went to some place and it was an inconvenience. It was a it was it was not an extreme thing. And yet you understood and you appreciated that from the point of view of the person that you were going to the house that you went to or the area that you went to that that for them. This was a this was an issue. But I think you, you also give us some instruction. You say. And give it, you give us some uh, a Cohen, maybe you might almost say about like separating the inconveniences to from the true emergency. Talk a little bit about that in terms of what you've learned as a, as a as a as a firefighter and how our listeners can learn from that. Sure, I, I think it's a really important point. I think um, the way our brains sometimes work is something happens; it's it's, it's negative, but um, we, we will blow up um, a small incident into a, into a tragedy at <laughs> right. the end of the world, right? right? And we, we've all had that experience. You're stuck in traffic. Uh, you're going to be late for a meeting. And our brain goes into overdrive uh, telling us that, oh, my God, this is the end of the world as we know it, right? Um, and, and, of course, when our brain is telling us that, we get adrenalized, we get frustrated, we get angry. All those kinds of things happen. Um, on the fire service, um, it takes just a little while to understand that there's a big difference between an inconvenience and a true tragedy. When you are faced on a daily basis with true emergencies, um, um, all that other stuff begins to appear as simply what we call inconveniences. And I think the word inconvenient is one of the most powerful mantras that we, we can use. Um, if we just say to ourselves, when we're stuck in traffic uh, or, you know, when we're late for a meeting or a kid comes home with less than a straight A uh, report card. If we say to ourselves, this is not the end of the world in a tragedy, this is just an inconvenience. Right. Um, it can make a big difference in, then in, in our ability to solve the problem and our ability to feel the way we want to feel. And I think it's, it's really important now to kind of grasp that concept as we go through this pandemic as we go through 
economically tough times, as you go through uh, your kind of social upheaval, we have to really parse for ourselves to stay sane. What is really a serious problem in a tragedy, and what are just inconveniences? Right. And we always talk about we always talk about um, and, and a mantra we use is like, uh, "My family's alive. Um, we're all healthy. We have a roof over our heads. Um, we are doing fine." Right. right? So we, so we don't. So then, and that all, a lot of the other stuff that we get upset about uh, are simply inconveniences. Right. They're not the end of the world. They're not tragedies. And if we, if we can really understand the spectrum of, of problems we run into that way and really use the mantra of this is only an inconvenience, um, we stay sane, we're able to solve problems. And on the fire department, um, if we go to, into a call that, that, that is not really emergent, but we act as if it is, we're not very good at solving problems. We get all adrenalized, we go crazy, we yell at each other. But if we calm down and say, huh, this is a problem we can solve, this is simply an inconvenience. Right. Uh, we're much, much better at our craft. Right. We're talking to Hirsch Wilson, and he's written a wonderful new book called Firefighter Zen. Please stay tuned with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today joined by Hirsch Wilson and his new book, Firefighter Zen, A Field Guide to Thriving in Tough Times. So, and by gosh, we do have tough times, Hirsch, as you just said mm-hmm. a moment ago. I mean, this this COVID business, I'm a physician, of course, so that makes it even a little bit more amped up for me since I have the challenge of, of trying to respond to it in a in a direct clinical way. Uh, mm-hmm. But but still, the the um, and what you said about the inconvenience thing that also is kind of important too, because now when we're we're so uh, as a culture, we're so tormented and torsioned uh, uh, with the, the leadership that we're having to deal with, with the, the, the virus and so on. So that there, people have all kinds of reasons to be you know, amped up and in sort of in a difficult space. So tough times message is, is now. And, and so for, there are a lot of people who think that we can just sort of slide through this, this pandemic period and somehow don't seem to quite realize how powerful a social force that is has been and is, will continue to be. And I think for you as a, as a firefighter, and it, it will, we'll, we'll be seeing the residue of this for, for, for time to come. So we, we really do need to, uh, we need to be brave and, and uh, deal with this pandemic and uh, somehow manage. And so what, a lot of what you write about, Hirsch, is very good advice for us in this time, whether or not we're facing a fire. It's my long-winded way of getting to saying that. So, uh, yeah. Coming coming back to uh, coming back to your your book, I wanted to. It's it's a lot of lot of short chapters, and what was it about the short chapter style that appealed to you so much? I mean, it, maybe it's because you you told a story and, and it it was a synopsis of the story. You got into it, you got out of it. You're you're in, you're done. So that's kind of how I read it. But was there any other sort of message to the short story, short chapter part of the book? Um, I, I think that's how how I write. Uh-huh. I think you, you you want to make a point um, and uh, you know, tell a story, make a point, and you get out of there. And I, I think putting stuff in, into bite-sized chunks. Right. I think right now is an easier way to read. I mean, in the 19th century, we could read, uh, you know, Tolstoy, right? 
but I, I just don't think that works in the modern audience right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was that's kind of was part of my question. I was going to say, and you just sort of already answered my question. I thought to myself, you know, why did he write it this way? And 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 and, uh, uh, and also, I w- I kept looking for who was your intended audience. Who who did you think was the most likely audience? And of course, one never knows. I mean, the, the book is just a right. Is a but yeah. but did you have an audience in mind? Was there anything in your head as you wrote this that that you thought, well, there's this group or that group. Was there anything that came to mind for you about that topic? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, my, my my basic premise, my motivation was to say, as firefighters, we have learned a tremendous amount about living mm-hmm. um, and about what life really is. Right. Um, and I, I wanted to share that with, I guess, I guess an audience you'd call meaning seekers uh, or a general audience. Um, so, so that's kind of what I was aiming at. And on the other hand, I think as a writer, um, you cannot get caught up too much on, on, on whether your audience will like it or what the audience is. You kind of have to write from your heart. You mm-hmm. have to write what's important to you mm-hmm. and then kind of let the chips fall as they may. If you, get, if you have too many, too many filters going on, um, um, it, it just gets in your way of writing. Um, to me, to me, writing is, there's two parts. There is, there's the flow part where you're just allowed to come out, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then there's the going back and editing part and making sense of it. But you need both. But I think the, the voice that you trust is that flow voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want to let too many uh, internal editors uh, go to work on you at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well that's a that's a good answer and a, and a good answer for me. I'm a little bit of a writer myself, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm happy to to get some advice from uh, somebody like yourself. So one of the things you talk about in terms of the volunteers, and of course, it's for a lot of people the whole idea of volunteering. They think of church maybe, or maybe the maybe the sure. hosp- maybe the hospital, but volunteering for a firefighter or for for a firefighting team is a very specialized kind of volunteering. Uh, and, and, and the other thing that, and you point out very plainly in the book, is that, that, that you're, you're kind of volunteer, you're on call 24 hours a day. So, so talk about, a little bit about that and kind of how you've learned to live with that. Sure. So, you know, first of all, there are 1.3 million firefighters in the country. Um, 700,000 of those are volunteers. Right. So volunteers are, are, over half of the firefighters in the country, um, and they're and they're they're mostly most big cities and medium-sized cities have what we call career firefighters, but the the rest of the country have volunteer firefighters. Right, um, and it is uh, you know two things. One, it is very disruptive. <laughs> um, right, when you're on when you're on twenty four seven, and the pager can go off any time of the day or night. Um, it, it absolutely disrupts your life, right? And there's there's no getting around that. Um, and we often talk about how we have to keep things so simple that at, at three o'clock in the morning, when we're half asleep, we, we can still do the job because we've memorized it. Right. Uh, and that's just the way you have to be. But I think it's it's it, in, in my family. And I have two daughters, and they grew up around fire departments. Um, and we became very attenuated to the fact that sometimes uh, uh, dad or mom have to go to a call. Um, 
and they'll and they'll we'll be eating dinner, and one of us will shoot out to go on a call. Um, and that just became part of who we were. And then on Saturdays when we trained, and on Tuesday evenings when we trained, our daughters got very used to going to the fire department and doing their homework there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just became who we are. And I think um, it, it isn't, it's not for everybody. Uh, and I think um, especially in the last, since 2008 uh, and, uh, and the kind of uh, great, uh, great recession when um, – uh, you know, both parents have to work. Uh, when it, you know, it's hard to find a job, it's harder to find volunteers mm-hmm. who have the time who can get off to work in order to to do that. But um, once you, I think the the payback the payback is so great uh, in terms of being part of your community and helping others and saving lives that it it just it, it outweighs the, the drawbacks. Right. Right. Well. You know the, what? What you just ended there. It 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 sounds like a lot of Christian virtues to me. I mean, it sounds like the the good Christians that I grew up with, and the, the, those mm-hmm. are the these are the kind of things they talk about. And 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 so again, the 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 the. Um, in fact, a lot of the book reads to me like um, a morality play almost. And mm-hmm. and uh, and you quite you're quite upfront about that. I mean, you're 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 not hiding that w- w- what you're doing with it. Um, and so, I, I where am I going with this? Um, well, I guess the, the 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 fact that the morality play is not just an idea, but it's actually something that you can do. And and so much mm-hmm. of your book for me is a book of action. It's a it's a mm-hmm. it's, it's just filled with action. And so what one mm-hmm. of the pleasures of it is that, like I said, like I was saying earlier, you get to ride along with uh, with Hirsch and bumping on the truck and bumping on the fire engine and, you know, running across the ground and, and, and dragging the hose and all these things. I mean, we really can feel what you're doing in this book. Mm-hmm. And so the morality play fits into a world of action, which is a, which is a little yeah. which is a little different spin most of the time, the morality plays that we hear about are kind of like airy philosophical things. This is a whole different animal, you know. So absolutely, absolutely. yeah. I, I, I think um, um, there's a saying that you know, um, what are we here for if not to make life easier for others? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think I, I think that in itself is about action. Mm-hmm. It's about doing something. Right. Um, you know, uh, I meditate. Um, I'm I'm very reflective and uh, and spend a lot of time by myself. Mm-hmm. But but that's not enough, right? It's not enough. We're here to we're here to make a difference. Uh-huh. We're here to help change the world at, at at a big level or even as an individual level. Um, and some of some of our favorite calls are simple things like helping somebody back into bed. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. Uh, at two o'clock in the morning, when they fall out of bed, and they can't back it, get mm-hmm. back in bed. Mm-hmm. But it's those simple things. It's like um, it's it's like it starts with seeing, seeing what's going on, seeing that people are in pain. One of my favorite stories is of a friend of mine who was a career firefighter. We were coming out of the gym together, and there was a man um, in an area where there were a lot of homeless people, and there was a man just laying on the curb. Right, you know. So our our viewpoint clearly intoxicated, passed out, right. and my my friend who had been a firefighter for thirty years, you know, he could have just walked by, he could.
could have made a snide remark, but he went up and noticed the guy, put his hand on his shoulder and said, dude, you can't sleep here. Let me help you out, right? And a small act of kindness. Right. And it starts with it starts with it starts with seeing it, and it starts with being willing to help, right? And, and I whatever whatever spiritual tradition you come from, I think it comes down to our our task on on this planet is to help others and mm-hmm. to be there for others mm-hmm. and to make life easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Again, you 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 spin around that point many many times through the book, and and, and you come at it from different ways, and so we, we're it's inescapable that that is your, you know, part of your the, the inspiration of your of your process here, and so yep. uh, it's uh, it's 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 fun to read. I don't know if, if you if you enjoyed uh, Al Franken when he was your senator. Um, but I loved Al Franken. Yeah. yeah, well, his his Midwestern values. It's it just as I as I read through this thing, I said, "By God, here's here I got Midwestern values staring me at the face." You know, here it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a book, chapter, and verse, <laughs> so we speak. Yeah. And anyway, um, so I, I'm sorry we don't have a chance to take call-ins because we're doing a pre-record for, for with Hirsch here today, and and uh, and the reason of, because of the the virus, we can't we can't be in our station and we can't. Do the normal call-in, so we're we're really sorry for that to not let our listeners have a chance to take a take a shot at you and to to share with you some of their own thoughts and ask some important questions. So it kind of stuck with mm-hmm. me. So I'm sorry about that, but that's the best we can do for the moment. But so coming back to um, uh, some of the some of the things that you impor- other some of the other important things that you get into is you, you talk about how. You know, our culture is uh, a lot of times we have things pretty easy and and, and, and being mm-hmm. and being pretty easy has some downsides. So tell us a little bit about that in terms of what how you see that as as, as you confront the people that you confront in the processes that you do. How does that being unprepared for the, the tough times? And then when we get finished with that conversation, let's talk about how you would help us learn a little bit about preparing for tough times. So, so st- start with sure. start with the first and then go to the last. Sure. So I, I think we, we live uh, in a, with a lot of illusion. Um, and a lot of illusions, if you listen to our culture, uh, one of them is that uh, life is, you know, we're supposed to be happy and uh, we're supposed to live forever. Um, <laughs> and, right. and, you know, our our we, we kind of uh, venerate the young um, and we, um, we get, we get kind of stuck in those things. That's what we think life is about. Right. And, and both personally and culturally. And so what happens is we go through these, these long stretches of peace, these long stretches of nothing, nothing really bad happens. And so we, we start to believe the illusion, but if you look at our history, right. Um, history of our culture or multiple cultures or even the history of life, you realize that life really is crisis to crisis, trouble to trouble. Um, and that's what, that's what being human has always meant. Um, and, and you can't get seduced by the idea that life is supposed to be easy uh, or that life is supposed to be um, not, not difficult because life is difficult. And I think the, the first lesson is, um, no matter how old you are, you know, if you're in your 40s or your 50s, if you if you look at how much time you have left, 
It's not that much time, right? It's really not that much time. Life is short. Um, and if you, you think about it, that there was an infinity of, infinity of time before you were born, there's going to be an infinity of time after, you, after you've left. We have this kind of speck of life that we can enjoy right now. So that's the first thing, is to grasp that. Right. Um, I think the other thing is, um, and, and I should say a, a big footnote is, um, since March, when we've been going through this crisis, I think we've all kind of been alerted to this, is that life is, is actually is difficult. It is a crisis. Um, and we have to learn how to be strong, how to be tough in order to endure this, not only at a, at a societal level, but we all, will, we all will experience tragedy and crisis in our lives. It comes with the territory. You do not get out of life without tragedy and crisis. Mm-hmm. And to believe that to believe that you will is an illusion. It just it's it just we're just pretending. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and the thing is, I think you also kind of the way you present it to me, to my readers' ear, you might say, is that you say that, and I didn't. This is making putting some words in your mouth, but it's. I think you you sort of tell us we shouldn't take it personally. The fact that life is tough and that it is it is that there is a real nitty gritty to life. This it just is. Yeah. It, you know it it, it, is. It, it, it it just is, and and I think that the uh, it reminds me of my, when my father sent me to, out to work for the for the road crew of Hennepin County um, because I was getting too soft and comfortable <laughs> in, right. in our polite right. uh, upper middle class world in Wyzetta. So, yeah. so I mean, I, 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 I started getting those lessons. Well, my dad was trying like the, like the devil to make sure I got them. And as I read you, Hirsch, all the way through this book, I feel like a certain, I see, I feel like I'm being parented. Does, does anybody else tell you about your writing that way, or this, or at least in relation to this book? Do they do they talk about it? Has that word come up before? This this is like a almost like I'm being parented by this book. Well, you know, it's interesting because I kind of wrote the book that somebody I wish somebody had given me when I was eighteen. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> right, or 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 when I joined the fire department, say, hey, you know, first of all, here's what life is really about. Okay. Or second, here's what here's what it means to be a firefighter, right? I wish somebody had given me that book so I would have understand it, understood it uh, at a much more deeper level. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, you, but you know, and uh, go ahead. Go no, you no, but you've obviously found out. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, yeah. You, you found out. Yeah. So, you're now you're an old man on the crew, and and one of the things that I again I enjoyed because uh-huh. because we're we're not that dissimilar age wise, and and mm-hmm. one of the things I got out of your book too is is I felt the I don't know if you remember. Um, the old movies, they used they used to have a, a thing they did where the the calendars pages were sort of flying off the calendar, you know, to sort of show right. you show you the passage of time. Remember that? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and Very well. Yeah. And and I and I read in in your writing when I get into the sort of rhythm of it, I hear you feeling the pages going flying by your face, and I and I mm-hmm. and, and I feel like you're you're telling us the reader. Hey, folks! Guess what? Watch those calendar pages just go flying right by your face, and and understand what that means, and how how right. how significant your here and now life is. And by God, better grab it, you know, and and also better be right with it. Uh, 
uh, or, or you'll you know you or you won't be and then you'll not be in a place you you would like to be so we just have a couple more minutes and so is there is there any part of the book that are either because I, I noticed that you as a storyteller there are there are some paragraphs that you write where I, I could almost feel the writer having a pleasure of saying these things I mean you're you're a very declarative sentence kind of guy and so mm-hmm. I I feel like there's a joy in your writing. It's like like you you watch the guy that's running and he's having a good time and he's this look on his face. Well, I can as I read your writing, I can feel that sometimes in your writing. Is there any particular part of the book or any chapter or any group of words that you that gave you particular pleasure to write that you might want to read to share with our listener? Well, I, I think two things. I think um, one of the the fundamental ideas that the book is based on is that is the idea that stuff happens right that stuff happens out of the blue uh, life turns on that dime right. and just that principle really drove a lot of the thinking about the book that uh, you know we have to be nimble we have to be quick we have to be able to adjust we have to be able to go in a different direction we have to be able to deal with whatever life hands us right and that's what it means to be human i mean what what the great thing about being human is our versatility, uh, our resilience, um, and even though we might live lives of, of great comfort now, um, we still at core are those resilient human beings that have been all over this planet, right? Uh, and have gone through. I, I tell the story of my grandparents who were both born in in, the, in 1900, and they went through um, they went through the First World War, the flu epidemic. Uh, the Great Depression, the Second World War, um, the Communist scare, Vietnam. They went through all those things. Wow. And they they survived and thrived, right? Wow. And that's the story, that's the story of being human. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be able to understand that that's in our genes, it's in our history. If everybody looks back at their family history, they will find those stories. Mm-hmm. We, we need to remember that's who we are. And, and once we understand we have that resilience, because the whole point of the book is that it's about finding joy. Mm. Happiness is like when I get a new car, or you know, <laughs> when, the, when 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 the U.S. women won the World Cup, U.S. women's soccer team won the World Cup. That's happiness. Right. But what we're looking for is that true joy, and that true joy comes from serving others. It comes from fulfilling who we, you know why we're here on this planet, right? And doing that work, work that's important to us. It makes a difference in the world, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what the what the thesis of the book is. So mm-hmm. Finding that joy. Well, you say it in the in the uh, well later in the book. You say, other than being a father, being a firefighter has given me more meaning than anything else. And so, and Absolutely. you, and you yeah. say, being a firefighter gave me purpose, gave me a purpose that nothing else—not work, not play, not money. So. That's really a strong statement. I mean, that is really, really, and and again, the sort of the muscle of that statement, and the sinews of that statement stand throughout this whole book, Hirsch. And so it really was fun to sort of stand with this book and to remember my own very brief uh, firefighter duty. I was a, a summer firefighter in the in, in one of the national forests, and mm-hmm. uh, you know. So, so I mean, I, I I know a lot of this this stuff that you write about, and 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 I, I it's lo- lovely to see somebody sit down and write it from the perspective that you come at it because it uh, 
so much of the time, I mean, those of us who, particularly those of us who've had any monastic training, as I have in the Zen world, I mean, it, a lot of this stuff sounds sort of, the teaching sounds sort of nice, but somehow it doesn't seem to have the grit that 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 which you, that you're able to add to the story. So you've really given us something valuable. You. You've really given us something here valuable, uh, Hirsch. So thank you for that. And and uh, I'm, I, I'm I'm hoping that the book uh, does well. And uh, me and, too. And uh, yeah, of course. And uh, so, are, what what have you got? Uh, what have you got on the on the on the hopper now? What's what's coming next for you as the writer? Um. Well, right now I, I'm writing a lot about the pandemic, okay, um, and and trying to help, you know, kind of meet some of my concerns and issues, keep myself sane, and help be able to kind of share uh, with others that message uh -huh. that you know that we will we will get through this. It's going to be hard, but you know, we we know how to deal with hard things, right? And, and we'll be okay. Well, you also in your blog you talk about the white problem. Maybe we could spend just a little bit of time on that uh, because that sure. that that of course is pretty lively with us now as well. So, you say we've got a white problem. What what is that problem? Okay, so and this is just my opinion, right? Right. Um, I, I think I think racism in our country, right, is a white problem. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It is. Um, how we've been trained, uh, how we've been taught, what we've inherited, how the country was built. Um, it, is, it is our ob obligation as, as um, the dominant culture for now um, to understand that. Because I think racism, racism is about, it's not about skin color, it's about power. Right. Right. Who has it, who has it, and who doesn't have it. Right. Um, and, and I think... Um, Martin Luther King said in his letters from the Birmingham jail that no one has ever given power. You have to take it. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, um, uh, gosh, I know that they said the same thing in, um, uh, in the suffrage movement that no one is going to give women power. They had to take it. Right. right? right. And it, I think that's where we are right now. I think the, de the death of uh, George Floyd and uh, the death of uh, the murders of George Floyd, and the right. murders of Breonna Taylor right. um, clearly uh, woke us up. And I was talking to someone today. It's, it's the expression on that, that cop's face as he knelt on George Floyd's neck. That, that, that expression of this is just another day in the life of a police officer as I was killing that man, right, just sums up to me where we are, right, that to take a black life, is, is by the police is not a big deal. Um, it's just part part of the course, um, and I think we we have to we have to come to grips with that. Right, so right. Um, I think, and I you know I grew up in I was eighteen in 1968 uh, when Martin Luther King was killed, when Bobby Kennedy was killed during the Chicago Convention, the Vietnam War, um, riots in the city, and I remember feeling at that time that the earth was trembling under my feet, mm. that things were changing. Mm. It's the same feeling now magnified. Um, really? Mm. And, yeah, and I, I, I think to myself uh, uh, that, that, that we, we um, I was reading Thomas Paine, um, Common Sense, right. and, and, and he, he wrote that, um, that I, I desire peace. I desire peace, but if, 
there is to be trouble, let it come now so our children can live in peace. Wow. Right? So, so I think we're at that moment where we have decisions to make on what kind of country we want to have, right? Um, we have how do we hold our leaders um, accountable now? And what do we really want to have uh, our children's, the world of our children to look like? Mm. Um, and it's it just right now that I, I think of, um, I mean, my, my perfect example is about how structural racism exists is the history we're taught in school. We are taught a white history, right? It is, it is um, you know, history, teaching history is a political act, right? It is a political act of power, what is taught and what is left out. Um, and I'd, I'd never heard of the, the, the 1921 riots in Tulsa, the massacre in Tulsa. Right. No, that was never taught, right? But there's this whole other history that was excluded from what we were taught, um, which makes us think that everything's fine, right? That we're this great, <laughs> right. this great, um, we're this great and noble country with no problems, and that's just not reality. Right. And and so that's just one example of how how systemic and structural racism is, just by the history we're taught in school. Um, and in Minneapolis, a Minneapolis story, um, which is is um, I think probably reflected in every major city in the in the country. In the 1960s, they built the interstate in Minneapolis, um, and they built it right through a black neighborhood, one of the thriving black neighborhoods in Minneapolis. And they they just tore that neighborhood up, built I you know I 35, uh, 35 uh, 35 W, right. and then went right through one of the black neighborhoods, and they destroyed it. And they also used that interstate to separate, just like building a wall. Um, black neighborhoods from white neighborhoods. Um, and, and again, that's the structural racism that, that we've inherited, right? And that and we have a lot of profound thinking and a lot of profound action to, 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 to fix that. We sure do. And, and of course, uh, the, this ongoing stuff in Portland and ongoing stuff now all over the place it's I mean we're we're really in a flashpoint and and uh absolutely i i i don't i don't have any sense of where the flash is going to go but there are there are people who feel like that that back when we were in our in in our late teens as we both were in the, in in the 60s um the we thought a big change was going to happen and of course some did yeah. But now mm-hmm. we, uh, people are saying now this is that kind of moment again. There are, pe- there are people feeling that that ground is swelling up and that, mm-hmm. that, that, that it, and it isn't just because of the riots. It, it's because of all the, the all the all, all the everything. Uh, yeah, all the everything. Yeah. All, all the everything. And so we really do have as a culture, we have a, a, a lot to do. And uh, it helps us to have teaching like you've given us, Hirsch Wilson, in your book and. I appreciate your social outreach in terms of your blog. So tell our tell our listeners about how they can how they can get you get more information about you and your your blog and things like that. So give us some contact information if you would. Sure, uh, I have a website. It's uh, Hirsch Wilson H E R S C H Wilson dot com, mm-hmm. and then I'm on Facebook at uh, Hirsch Wilson Writer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. Thank you so much, Hirsch. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank and you so uh, I, I hope that we'll keep in touch a little bit. And if, if you write something else, we hope you'll come back and tell us about that. Will do. Be safe. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye Bye-bye. now. Bye-bye.